Hi folks, a very quick announcement before we get started on the episode this week. And that is a huge thank you to Katie Unicorn Stewart. I don't know if your middle name really is Unicorn. If it is, that is an awesome name. So the fabulous Katie Unicorn Stewart gave us a recent review on Apple Podcasts about the recent Governance Summit summary. So five stars for Take On Board, she says. Loved the recent Governance Summit summary podcasts. Super useful. Katie, happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time to do a review. So a little prompt for others that might be listening. I love it when I get reviews and you might get read out on the pod as well. So get in there and work out how to do ratings and reviews and let me know what you think of the pod. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Alex Tulio about her journey to the boardroom. Before we start that discussion, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. For me, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I acknowledge their continuing connections to land, waters and culture and pay my respects to Elders past and present. I support the Uluru Statement from the heart. I'll be voting yes in the referendum coming up later this year and I encourage others in the Take On Board community to do the same. Now, let me introduce Alex. Alex is on the boards of Sandhurst Trustees and Wild, and she was formerly on the boards of Mansfield and District Community Bank. As the owner and founder of her own consultancy, Alex works with innovative leaders with a global mission and helps them realise their vision. She's an experienced facilitator, speaker, MC and executive coach. This work is complemented by her non-executive director roles with Sandhurst Trustees and Wilt. Before embarking on her entrepreneurial journey, Alex had a highly successful corporate career in financial services. As a former group executive of a top 60 ASX listed company with a market capitalisation of $4.24 billion, Alex's 25-plus years' experience in business encompasses an extensive track record in delivering business growth and leading through change in complex and regulated environments. Oh, we're going to have fun today. Alex, welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Halia. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm like you. I can't wait to jump in and see where the conversation takes us. I know, but before we jump in, we have to hold ourselves back just a little bit because before we explore Journey to the Boardroom and all things related to that, as always, I just want to dig a little bit deeper about you. So tell me, where were your parents born and where are your ancestors from? Well, so my dad was born in Australia, but he came out when he was very young. So his uh, background and heritage is from Sicily. So his dad came out and uh, his older brother was born in Sicily. So dad was born here. And then my mum is of English descent. So she was actually born over there, but she grew up in Kenya because her dad, my granddad was in the army. So her early life was very much traveling around and and she really identifies with Africa as home. And then met my dad on on the boat over to Australia and uh, 
as much as they deny it, it's clearly a love story because uh, that's how they met. So that's my heritage. Oh, lovely. Okay. So what about you? Where were you born and where did you grow up and is there siblings in the family? Well, I was born in Melbourne, so Melbourne girl uh, in Preston. So, and it's interesting now we contemplate the traditional owners, isn't it? Because at the time, you know, we're completely oblivious when I was young. This just wasn't a conversation. So um, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, it was the Wurundjeri William plan. So I'm the oldest of three girls. So any of you who are the oldest siblings know the cross we have to bear as the responsible ones. But yeah, so I'm one of three girls and uh, our extended family really isn't big. So it was overseas really. So it was really just the five of us growing up and and dad was very much, you know, girls can do anything. So it was dad and dad and four, four women. So he, he did well. Same in our family, Alex. It was our yeah. dad and the uh, three, well, the four women, my mother and the three girls, although I'm the youngest. Oh, uh, the so. youngest sibling. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's definitely the spot to be. <laughs> so you've already mentioned, you know, the traditional owners and the first peoples where you grew up, which is actually just around the corner from where I am right now. I'm in Thornbury and pretty much the other side of the road is Preston. So tell me, how many languages do you speak? Well, we've grown up speaking Italian and I always say, I'm very reluctant to say I speak Italian because I don't think that I can speak fluently at all, but I can certainly get us around and I've got some good conversational skills. So certainly Italian is is my second language and, and that's what we grew up speaking with some dialects thrown in there, as you can imagine, because it, it differs quite a bit. So only English and Italian. I'm sorry, I can't tell you I speak five languages. <laughs> Well, you're speaking to somebody who only speaks English and even though I'm on, I think, level seven of Duolingo Italian, I definitely can't speak Italian and can't get us around Italy with that. But well done to your parents, I think. Should I say this on air? I'm going to say it anyway because my partner probably won't listen, but he's Italian, his parents are Italian, but he doesn't speak Italian. They didn't speak Italian as kids and it's, oh, it's just such a shame now that he doesn't speak the language. Anyway, Makes such a difference, I think, growing up. We didn't speak, like my mum speaks Italian, even mm. though she's English, but we didn't speak fluently. You know, that wasn't our language at home. It was English was at home. So I'm with you. I mm. think growing up mm. as a native tongue is so different. So my sister with her kids speak French with her husband and Italian with her. So they're already overachievers, yeah. you know. But you can just tell, you know, the, the young mind being able to just process that. So... So where do you feel your home or your place is? You know, it's, it is interesting. I mean, definitely I identify with Melbourne um, because I guess that's where I've always grown up. I really identify strongly with our Italian heritage. But now it's also interesting because nearly three years ago, my husband and I moved to regional Victoria. So still in Victoria, but we're up near Mount Buller and Mansfield now. And you know, I've always had this connection with land and, you know, we're not country people. We didn't grow up regionally, but where I am now, we're on seven acres and feel very connected to where I am now. But certainly Melbourne and Victoria is home, but with some strong connections to our, our cultural heritage. Beautiful. We travelled to Italy not long ago, like just in June this year, and went to Torino where my partner has some family. That My partner's family are all from the south as well, but in the north during the year and come down south again for summer. It was my favourite 
thing of the whole trip was having dinner with their family, some of whom he'd met, some of whom he hadn't met. I hadn't met any of them. It's just so glorious having that connection. Isn't it? And even though you've never met, there is something about those family connections that persist, even though time and generations and distance pull them apart. There's something about those family connections that just somehow persist. It was really beautiful. It sounds amazing. It's a nice part of the Mm. world, you know. Oh, lovely. I see. You said it so much more beautifully (laughs) than I did. Let's talk your journey to the boardroom. Where does the journey start? You know, you reflect on these things. So my career, and I guess I'll preface this by sort of reflecting on my, my career. So I had no idea what I wanted to do growing up, you know. And I was probably a classic. I was this A grade student. I was the eldest. You know, it was always kind of assumed that I'd end up doing, you know, a law degree. So my rebellion kicked in in year 11. So that was first year of BCE. So I didn't get the marks to get into law, which, to be honest with you, was never my dream. I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So I ended up doing this arts degree at Melbourne Uni begrudgingly. And dad put himself through uni when he was in his 40s. He was a builder and an opera singer by trade, but that's a tangent we don't need to go down. But as he he said to me, love, it'll teach you how to think doing an arts degree. And I'm like, oh, dad, what do you know? Of course, fast forward on. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. My corporate career was in largely in financial services. And I literally, I stumbled into that from my arts degree doing politics and history and languages. And as a part-timer, for a financial advisor, got decades ago, Helia, how does that happen? And the reason why that feels relevant to this conversation is because I, I was never someone who had a really clear mapped out pathway for my career. And I, and I did find my niche over years and I ended up carving out a really amazing career with a very strong bent around distribution and building businesses and sales. And, and it was just happened to be in this industry that I had no idea about when I found it, but it's as a lot of your listeners would know, it's so broad, you can do so many things. And so I worked in advice and I worked in superannuation and platforms and investments and all sorts of things. And this led me to Bendigo Bank. And Bendigo Bank was the only bank that I ever worked for. But I love the culture. And I, as, as you often do, I followed a previous leader who I had a massive amount of respect for. And so I ended up at Bendigo Bank. And still, I remember thinking, gosh, I must be getting older when I did my first session, you know, with graduates wanting to know with pens poised how I'd mapped out my career. I'm like, wow, I'm there now. Did you say, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up? Am I grown up? Oh my God. Hang on a minute. What's happening here? That's right. And so, and I remember kind of this disappointment on some of their faces. They were so like, she's going to give us the formula. And I'm like, well... I was open to opportunities, I've moved sideways, I've moved up, I've moved around. And that's very true. So when it comes to thinking about the board career, if you'd said to me probably even 10 years ago, is this an aspiration? I would have probably looked at you and gone, being a director, gosh, that sounds like something that's from a land far, far away. And that's certainly not my bag. And gosh, I'm not qualified to do that. And so at Bendigo Bank, I I was invited to join the group executive and I I had um, a number of different portfolios. And and in that, and this is part of, I think, the experience that we build, so I was invited by the MD to sit on some subsidiary boards at the time as an executive director. That was my first taste, probably like for a lot of your community and a lot of us getting started on boards, that was my first taste. And I remember thinking, gosh, if I'm going to do this and know what I'm doing, I need to actually 
learn what I'm doing here and get some education. And that's when I said to, to my leader, I said to him, well, can I do the AICD course? So that was the start of it. And, you know, like it's different being an executive director and it's different when you're in that scenario, but it's such great grounding for what goes on around a boardroom table. And of course, as an executive, you're getting experience and exposure reporting to the board and, and all these things. So that was kind of the first step. And then when I left my executive career, so that's probably, gosh, probably over five years ago now, and I'd been doing different things and sort of working for myself and different things. And then probably a couple of years into that journey, I got a call from the then chair of the, of the Sandhurst Trustees Board. So for those of you who don't know, Sandhurst is a fully owned subsidiary of Bendigo Bank. It's a corporate trustee, business custodian, has managed funds. So it does a range of different things. That was my first paid board role as a NED. And I still reflect, and I'm sure you'll feel me, Helia, but I still reflect on, even though by the time I joined it, it had been, you know, the requisite probably two and a half, three years since I'd been an executive at the bank, but it was still a really challenging transition for me, even though I'd been out of that executive world for a while, coming into a board and going, wow, this is a different role. From being a hands-on executive to being a director, that was my first opportunity. And, I, and I'm still on that board and, you know, it's been probably over three years now. And then the other board that I'm on at the moment as well is a board for a company called Wild, which behind the scenes we were chatting, you know, it's at the absolute other end of the scale in many ways in terms of profile than Sandhurst. So these guys are very fast moving. They're an online estate planning and world business. They're a disruptor of that industry. Their mission is very much to make it their mission so that every Australian has a will and it's kind of a different space. So they require different things from, I guess, their board from that perspective. And then the other board along the way as well is a volunteer board, which is you referenced when you introduced me, which is the Mansfield Community Bank Board. So that's different again, because that's a volunteer board and, and very much with its roots in community. So I think like a lot of my career, it was oh, I'm going to follow my nose and this is really interesting and learning and getting that experience and I think I can add value here and, and building on that. That's where I am now, yeah. I just want to dig a little bit into the willed role. Like we heard for Sandhurst, you know, you've been at Bendigo Bank and then you got the call. I'm assuming that's because you were known through Bendigo Bank and Sandhurst is a subsidiary and therefore yes. it's kind of part of those networks, which is Clearly, folks, one way of getting a role on a board, build the network and build it. It won't always be through an organisation that you've worked for, so just build your network. But Wild, how did you end up in the boardroom there? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned networks because this is a bit of a passion of mine as well about, and it's not just women, but especially women, we are generalisation, but I feel like it holds true. We tend to be reluctant to put ourselves out there or to ask or this importance of a network, it seems to come bottom of the pile with everything else that we've got on. So I'm glad you called that out. So absolutely, Sandhurst was very much, I was known. And Marnie, who's now the managing director and CEO, and oh, I wonder if Alex would be interested in us and the chair, I was known to the chair and Wild also was through that network. And I think this is the power, as you've just alluded to, and you never know where this is going to come from. So Wild was completely unknown to me. And the chair of Sandhurst says to me one day, oh, Tony. And so Tony had been on the board of Bendigo Bank. So Tony knew me as an executive presenting papers to him. 
So Tony hadn't been, we hadn't seen him for years, but he remembered me and he's an investor in Weld. I went, you know, we're looking for a really a dynamic director and we'd like someone with, with this kind of background. And I was wondering if Alex might be interested. Can you reach out? And if she's interested, get her to give me a call. And then through that connection, I then met the chair of Weld, who was unknown to me. But I think this is the point, isn't it? Because you never know where these opportunities will come from. And that's why it's important to build relationships and, and keep those networks alive and investing in them. I did hear recently, and I have no idea whether this is true or not, any recruiters listening, please confirm or deny. But what I hear is when they're on the search for people, obviously, you know, I had a call recently from a recruiter about something. It wasn't the role for me. I said, that's not for me, but here's some people I think you should talk to, which I think is generally probably what happens. And they kind of just wait to hear mm. whose names they hear regularly. And those names are the ones they follow up. One of the names I gave them is the person who was successful in that role. I don't take any kind of real credit in that because I think everybody mentioned this person, but they do go, oh, everybody is mentioning this person. There is something in that. So yeah, keeping those networks warm and in a really genuine, authentic way Absolutely. is super important. Okay. And so that's interesting as well, because your presentation as an executive, unsurprisingly, perhaps, then paves the way for your portfolio as a non-executive. So you talked about that transition before and about, oh, executive doing everything. And now, oh my gosh, I'm a non-executive. Tell me about your first board, as in not your first boardroom role, but your first board meeting. You know, you've walked in, you've sat down, what's going on? What are you feeling? What's happening around you? What are you noticing? And what came to the fore for you? Such a great question. It's a great reflection because I think you know, as we're talking and I'm sure obviously people are listening who are very experienced and seasoned directors and those who are looking to get in and just starting and everything on, on that gamut. I, as a lot of women, I'm sure would identify. So I was very much the can do. So that was my reputation as an executive. I got stuff done. So I do remember the first time and it was an interesting piece and I feel so fortunate. And again, this probably comes back to first boards and being really, I think, clear and do your homework on who you're on a board with. That's not just for your first board, that's for any board, because I feel like that team of your fellow directors is absolutely critical. So I went into the Sanchez, my first board meeting. So I felt very fortunate because I still was having the whole imposter syndrome oh my gosh can I do this I've done the theory and I've done the AACD but it's very different doing anything in practice I knew the existing board very well so they were all known to me with a different hat on but I knew Jenny who'd been the chair for years and I knew all my fellow directors and also the management as well so that was in a way it was kind of a blessing and a curse it was an absolute blessing because I knew they were great people I trusted them and their longevity and their experience. So I really leaned on that. I remember thinking, you know, Justin, who's the CEO of that business, you know, I'd worked with him for years and years. And I just had to keep reminding myself, oh, this is a different role now. You know, you're not here as an executive or, or someone. So I remember thinking, oh, okay, I've just got to recalibrate what this relationship is. And in those first couple, and maybe this is not a bad thing, but, you know, it's always, what's that saying? You know, you've got two ears and two eyes and one mouth. I really remember sort of being part of it and, and enthusiastically joining, but still sort of observing and getting a lay of the land and a read on, on, on the dynamic. 
in the first few, but at some point, you know, this is probably another conversation, but at some point, you, you mean, you can't just sit back and observe, you've got to participate and know how to participate. So my, my first board meeting was all of this stuff going in my mind of, oh, wow. But what I quickly found that was an absolute boon for me is that because I had such a good understanding of the broader business, I had great context, which I think as a director, having a context and really understanding the business is one of the things, isn't it? Because if you don't understand, and I'm not talking the surface level, you get a paper and go, okay, but really understanding the dynamics. For me, that's the key because then you can ask the smart questions. And so I, I feel like I really had that great grounding. So that stood me in good stead. And I think there's a reason why the prescribed gap between being an executive and a non-executive on, on the same board is around three years because it gives you enough distance, you know, not going from one to the other. I'm also wondering, like, the two organisations that you're mm-hmm. on the board of, they're really different. Long established, probably established governance practices and all sorts of things at Sandhurst and this new upstart <laughs> or startup on the other side, Wild. What do you notice about both the similarities and the differences for you as a board member of those two organisations? Yeah, and I think this is an important point and I'm glad you've raised it because, again, it's, you know, you, you reflect on these things as you're doing these roles and you're evaluating performance and how, how you can do things and be more effective. So I think the similarities are from a governance, structure, requirements, all those things they're the same, but I think they they are the same in terms of what they're required they're required to have and do, but to different degrees. They're different industries. They're different maturity profiles. So I think for for the younger company, there's a lot of gosh, what do we need here? They're more reliant on that. Whereas you say Sandhurst, you know, hundreds of years in business, part of you know the big mothership, which is Bendigo, very established, very experienced. That's what they've grown up with this management. So they're very that's their normal environment, whereas with the Wild Board, it's newer. But I think similarities are in terms of the needs and requirements and also what they need from their board. So we might perform that in a different way, but it's that soundboarding and it's the asking of questions. And I think one of the similarities, which I do reflect on quite a bit, is that they're in such different places. But when you've got management teams, and in both cases, this is absolutely true, highly talented, highly passionate highly driven, in different ways, massive amounts of work on moving fast in their respective ways. So they still need the same, take a breath, you know, when when as a director, you can give them that space to go, you're so head down in the operational, which is where you need to be, but eyes up, let's contemplate the strategic horizon. Let's, you know, you can bring that bigger oversight and perspective. So they both, even though they're so different, I think they both really benefit from having just those different heads that are, this is true for anything in life. When you're in it, you know, it's, you can't be that objective because you're in it, you're doing. So we all need people who can bring that objectivity and to give you that bit of space and, and time to pause. And the time to pause and those conversations, as I said, they're di- very different. So they're about probably different things, but very similar in terms of what, how we can help them as a board. Interesting. Okay. So you as a board director are always head up and what's in the distance. And even though what you're seeing in the distance is completely different for both organisations because of the different phase they're at, it's still 
I don't know, it's the same muscle memory, I guess, of being a board director in terms of interesting. Yeah, I think so because, you, and you, you know, that translates to different conversations, doesn't it? Because you have, you might be talking about distribution strategies or you might be talking about, well, are we, is it more re- about revenue or growth at this point? Or we might be talking about the next five recruits, which are critical versus we've already got hundreds of people or, so they're different things, but I love how you put that. I think that for me is one of my biggest learnings so far as a director is that you bring all this lived experience from different industries, different experience, different boards, different mistakes, like all the things that, that is life experience, that's what you can bring to the table. And I think that's what's really valuable for, for management teams. Alex, what a fabulous conversation. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? We've touched on a, a few, but to reiterate, I think for women especially who are out there and maybe contemplating that first board role or they've just started and maybe having that moment of, oh, what do I bring to the table? Just remember what we've just been talking about is that you're there for a reason. So it's not easy, as we all know, it's not easy to just get on a board. You know, there's a very rigorous process and there's networks and there's all these things. So if you're there, you're there for a reason. And your fellow directors and chair have have seen in you experience that is diverse and you bring a different perspective. So always remember the perspective you bring. You might not be the detailed audit person, but you will bring something that's a, it's a really valuable perspective that, that's different. So that's the first thing. I would also really reflect on get great at asking inquisitive questions, be curious. And I know that's not a new thing, but when perhaps you might be sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, is it my place or that's not my my background or I don't want to ask the management team too many, you know, be inquisitive and be curious because there is a great way to ask questions that doesn't mean you're putting your management team in, in the firing line, you can do that in a very supportive and collaborative way. But the only thing I would say, which is probably obvious as well, Helia, is, you know, this culture in terms of boards and management teams, like I'm very much of the school that, and I think probably we all are, is it has got to be a collaboration. It has got to be a culture of trust because when you have maybe an abrasive or a different type of relationship between a board and the management team, this is when you hear all those things that we hear in the news where people won't bring you things that have gone wrong or, you know, all that. So I think, you know, that's the one thing I always try to do is to really build that trusted relationship where our management teams know they can come to the board with anything and that's that's what we're there to do, workshop and, and, and do all that. So there are probably a few things that I think that are hopefully practical that, that I, I still think about every day. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Well, and I know you're familiar with the Leading to Sort podcast, but the work that those ladies are doing um, and Michelle Redfern, you know, I've interviewed her in the past and I just love what they bring to the table around practical advice and insights around building leadership capability at all levels and really stepping into your power as a woman. So that's one I would suggest is uh, look up Leading to Saw as a podcast and you won't be disappointed. Agreed. Lita Saw and Michelle is a great friend of the Take On Board podcast. We even did a crossover episode that went to air both on Lita Saw and on Take On Board. But uh, I'll, 
I, I listened to that and I loved it. And of course, sorry, Michelle, I said leading to sore. Of course, it's lead to sore. Of course, I was going to get that wrong. But yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And a shout out to Carolyn Patrick for connecting us to do this podcast. I put a post on LinkedIn and she suggested you and wasn't she right? So... Well, thank you. And see, networks again, the power of the network. (laughs) Oh, Alex, thank you so much for spending your time today and sharing your wisdom and your story. I have no doubt that those in the Take On Board community are going to take some great value from this. So thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Halia. And thank you for doing this because I enjoy every episode. So thanks, everyone. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women and gender diverse people together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd also really love it if you could do some of the other, well, podcast things. Share the podcast with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom. 